Well, good morning. My name is David, and I serve as the executive pastor, and I just want to add my warm welcome to all of you in the sanctuary, to all of those in the fellowship hall, and to any of you joining us online. We're wrapping up our series today, Sensing Jesus. We've been looking at the gospel of John, seeing how he keeps uh, Christ front and center, and we've looked at what it means to see Jesus, to taste Jesus, to touch Jesus, to hear Jesus, and today to even smell Jesus. When James was coming up with this sermon series, uh, Rob, Yancey, and I were laughing like, How, what are you going to do with that one? And then we looked down, and my name was beside that sermon. So I'm pretty sure this may be the only sermon in the history of the world titled Smelling Jesus. So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to page 906. Keep your Bibles handy because we're going to look at a few scripture passages this morning. If you remember back to our first sermon, we looked at the incarnation in John 1 where God became flesh, that Jesus was fully human, that he had a visible and a touchable body. And so when Jesus walked the earth, surely he smelled as well. And Christians realize this, that one day, someday, when he wipes away our tears and we are embraced by Jesus We will actually smell him. He's that real. But today we're not going to speculate if Jesus smells like Old Spice Cedars of Lebanon or Axe Body Spray. We're going to look at the Gospel of John. And John associates the smell of Jesus with life. And so look with me at John 19 and we'll read beginning in verse 38. It says, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, whereas they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to smell you more. 
So let the fragrance of Jesus and the aroma of grace arise from your holy word today so that we would smell like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I wonder if there is a particular person or a childhood memory that you associate with a certain smell. Perhaps no other sense makes us more nostalgic and brings up emotions like smell. For me, frying bacon and brewing coffee always reminds me of eating breakfast with my grandparents while they did their devotions and looked at the birds outside their bay window. Fresh cut grass brings thoughts of teammates and fun on the baseball field. Rain showers remind me of sitting on the front porch with my best friend Thad and his grandmother, whom we affectionately called Ma, watching the thunderclouds come over the mountains. Other smells for me, the salty smell of the ocean for vacations, the hint of pine at Christmas always bring up childhood memories. What smell brings up a particular person or a memory in you? Well, in John, and specifically in 2 Corinthians in a moment, we're going to see how the aroma of Christ should also trigger our mind, our emotions, and even our will. So three parts to this sermon today, the power of smell, the symbol of smell, and the purpose of smell. So first, the power of smell. As we just read, the passage deals with the crucifixion of Jesus, his execution. And the passage, uh, the scriptures before the passage that we read today tell us that the soldiers came to break the legs of Jesus to speed his death. But in coming to Jesus, they found that he was already dead. And this was confirmed by the fact that they put a spear into his side and blood and water flowed freely. Now, I've never been to an execution, but what I've read, you don't forget the smell of it, whether it's modern ones like a firing squad, an electric chair, or a lethal injection. And a crucifixion would also have been unforgettable. Now, Christians rightly revere the cross for what it accomplished, but we cannot sanitize it. Imagine what the foot of the cross must have smelled like with the stench of blood and urine. The man whose body must now be dealt with because he had an odor. And so we read in verses 38 and 39 that Joseph and Nicodemus came to bury the body of Jesus. You see, they took his body and they wrapped it in linen with 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes in order to mask the smell of the corpse. And they placed his body in a garden, in the cool, damp, earthy, dead air of the tomb. Make no mistake about it, I am sure that these smells forever reminded Joseph and Nicodemus of that crucifixion. And the power of this smell let these early disciples know that something is not right. Isn't it interesting that whenever something is wrong in your world, your sense of smell is the first that alerts you? The food that's spoiled in the fridge, 
the laundry overflowing in its basket, the diaper that needs changing. The sense of smell lets you know that something is broken in the world. It's powerful. For me, as a pastor, I do spend a fair amount of time in hospitals. And so that strong chemical disinfectant immediately floods my mind with grief over sickness and death of friends and family. Or on our mission trip to Cambodia a few years ago, the smell of a rice field crowded in a small bamboo hut, praying over a bedridden, shriveled woman dying from AIDS is forever lodged in my mind. What smell in life lets you know that something is not as it should be? That's the power of smell. But secondly, we want to look at what smell represents in John. In the second section of Scripture that we read in verses 1 through 10, Mary and the disciples, they go to the tomb, but when they arrive at the tomb, the stone was rolled away, and there is no body, there is no odor of a decaying corpse. As we're told in Acts 2 and Acts 13, God did not allow the Holy One, Jesus, to see decay or corruption. Now, it's interesting in the Gospel of John, if you look at another passage where someone else was buried in a tomb, it's also interesting to consider this story in the light of smelling Jesus. In John 11 and John 12, if you go back to John chapter 11, you may remember this story. Jesus had a best friend named Lazarus, and while Jesus was not around, he died, and he was buried in a tomb. And his sisters, Mary and Martha, they sent for Jesus, and Jesus comes, and he's late getting there. And so Lazarus has already died, and he's in the tomb. And when he shows up in verse 39 in chapter 11, Jesus says to everyone there, he says, take away the stone. But Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Something was not right. The scent of the corpse of Lazarus was decaying. It was the aroma of death. And even with linen and perfume, you couldn't completely cover up the scent of death. But what happens in this story in John chapter 11, Jesus shows up and after he he says all these things, he cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. You can bank that Mary and Martha would forever remember that day. And the presence of Jesus smelled like life. Now it's interesting, in the next chapter, in John chapter 12, Jesus is eating a meal with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And this is when Mary anoints Jesus with perfume. And then you remember the disciple Judas? He scolds her for wasting such a valuable item. And in John 12, 7, in one translation, Jesus says... Leave her alone so that she may keep the memory of this. You see, smell is representative of the death of Lazarus and life in Jesus. It's symbolic. 
Now, some of you are saying, Pastor, this is a stretch, right? <laughs> you're in the Gospel of, John, garden, uh, Gospel of John. You're talking about the smell of the garden. You're talking about uh, the smell of the tomb and myrrh and aloes. This is cool, but this is a stretch. Have no fear. Third point, we're going to look at the purpose of smell. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians. It's found on page 965, and we're going to see the purpose of smell. 965 in your Bibles. This is 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. This shows you we're not reaching and we're not crazy in talking about smelling Jesus It says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Now it's interesting, this word that's used for fragrance and aroma four times in this passage usually refers to sacrifices in the Greek Old Testament. Let me give you just one of those, uh, an example of one of those sacrifices. Turn again, I told you to keep your Bibles handy, to Exodus 30, page 70. So aroma and fragrances are almost always associated with sacrifices in the Old Testament. So Exodus 30, I want to just read a few verses here. Verses 1, verse 1. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense, you shall make it of acacia wood. And then it goes on a description of how big it's supposed to be, what it's supposed to be made out of, and then listen to the purpose of it in verse 6. And you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it, Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it, a regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, and you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. With the blood of the sin offering of atonement, he shall make atonement For it once in the year, throughout your generations, it is most holy to the Lord. What's going on here? Well, in verse 1, the Lord instructed Israelites to make a wooden altar overlaid with pure gold that was three feet high, 1.5 feet long, wide, and it was placed in the holy place, one of three pieces before the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And in verse 7, The priest was to continually burn incense on the golden altar of the tabernacle as it represented the constant prayers of the people arising to the Lord. 
It's why the psalmist refers to this in Psalm 141 when he says, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. This altar of incense was the aroma that reminded the people to pray. But verse 10 tells us their prayers were not inherently sweet. Did you catch that? In verse 10, the priest had to make a blood sacrifice on the golden altar once a year. This is what John Calvin says about this passage. The altar of incense was purified by the sprinkling of blood that they might learn that their prayers obtained acceptance through sacrifice. That's why the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 9 writes this. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And he asked, how much greater is the blood of Christ. It's why Paul calls the sacrifice of Christ in Ephesians, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, more than incense, more than animals, more than spices, Jesus provided himself as the fragrant, eternal sacrifice that deals with the source of our stench, our sin, and our rebellion. Jesus made himself smell like death so that we would smell like life to God. Jesus made himself smell like death so that we would smell like life to God. And friends, This should change us. Two quick applications here. Because as we smell Jesus, as 2 Corinthians tells us, we are to smell like Jesus. So what would it look like for McLean Presbyterian Church to be the aroma of Christ? The first way that we will smell like Jesus is through our continual prayers. Now, we don't burn incense because Christ has come, but we are commanded to pray without ceasing. And because Christ has been sacrificed on the altar, because he has made an atonement for our sins, God the Father hears us as if he were listening to his own son, Jesus, and our prayers to him are incredibly precious. Revelation 5.8 says, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Our prayers are a pleasing aroma to God, and he keeps them in a golden bowl like a bouquet of flowers to smell. When we pray to God, it's as if the Father were listening to Jesus. That's amazing. 
Friends, we have a great privilege in talking to the Father about anything. We have access to the Holy of Holies. The veil is torn in two because the atonement of Christ and the Father hears our prayers. So it is a privilege to talk to him, but it is also a responsibility to talk to him as well. Oswald Chambers wrote, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Friends, what will it look like for us to smell like Jesus? When we tell one of our friends that we're praying for you, let's not let it be an empty sentiment devoid of action. Let's actually pray for one another. When someone says, turn to the flock notes and let's pray, let's do it. Because it is a privilege and a responsibility to pray without ceasing. Prayer makes a different difference, and prayer smells like Jesus. The second application for us is this. We are to be sacrificial witnesses for Christ. Now, just as we don't burn incense, we don't sacrifice lambs anymore because of Jesus, but Paul writes in Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Friends, through our lives of joyful obedience, we extend the aroma of grace from the cross of Jesus that should linger in our homes in our communities, and in our cities. Our next sermon series starts next week on Titus. And James will be talking about what it looks like to live lives of joyful obedience so that we are the pleasant aroma of Christ to the world. So come back for that sermon series. The aroma of Christ is the scent of the grace that we all desperately need. That's the purpose of smell. Let me close with this story. Some of you may know Dan Wagamuth. He's president of Youth for Christ. And he wrote this story of smelling Jesus in a tough neighborhood in the east side of Indianapolis where a converted warehouse is used by Christians to teach youth a trade while having conversations about Jesus. And he wrote... It's at the YFC Wills City Life Center that kids from the community learn about carburetors and grace. It's a place where the students hear about AC Delco parts and the unrelenting love of Jesus. It was in that garage that I smelled Jesus. And the aroma was more like motor oil and grease than Chanel Number no. 5. It was real and authentic and connected to the promise of dignity, relationship, and transformation. The smell of Jesus was vibrant and compelling and powerful. In a small garage on the east side of downtown Indianapolis, I smelled Jesus, a fragrance from life to life. What a beautiful smell. To the hungry, he smells like homemade bread. To the captive, he smells like mountain air. To the lonely and isolated, he smells like a birthday party. To the defenseless, he smells like victory. To the prisoner, 
he smells like mercy. To the arrogant, he smells offensive. To the lost, he smells like a shepherd. To the abused, he smells like justice. To the discarded and rejected, he smells like Braveheart. <laughs> and to the kids on the east side of Indy, he smells like Quaker State 10W40. Jesus, the beautiful smell of hope. Now, most of us won't open a garage and teach kids how to fix cars while talking about Jesus. But all of us have real and tangible opportunities to offer our prayers and our lives as a pleasing aroma of Christ. Going to Romania a few years ago and seeing RCE do this, if you've ever been, you will always hear Ovi say, making mercy happen, the aroma of Christ throughout Romania. Friends, that's the question for us today. How can we be the aroma of Christ in our context? How can I smell like Jesus? What will our church smell like as it is increasingly being changed by God's grace? My prayer today is that we get a sense of the aroma of life in Christ so that we might be the aroma of life in Christ to others. I love the last two lines of our song of preparation. Let the fragrance of our prayers arise. Lead us on the road of sacrifice. That in unity, the face of Christ will be clear for all the world to see. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to this table, your table, we pray that this meal might explode our senses, that we would see, taste, taste, touch, smell, and hear the words of grace. Father, we ask you to do this because we need it and because you deserve it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.